Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to episode number 60 of Navigating Education, the podcast. I'm Dr. Matt Rhodes, your host. And tonight, we're going to be talking about teacher happiness. And just as we were about ready to start this episode, I was talking about how we're in November right now, the beginning of the year, that motivation, that energy is, you know, it's really fluid at this point. You're going to have some great days. You're going to have days that are going to be challenging, but you're really in the stretch before the holiday season where your mind can go elsewhere, students' minds can go elsewhere, and you have a lot of other stresses that are going on relating to um, holidays as well as um, just what's the day-to-day um, in the classroom. So really want to focus on tonight, just how can you navigate just, you know, being a happy educator, especially during a time when there's been, especially in the United States, really heightened politicalization of education, um, you know, coming out of the last couple years of with the pandemic and returning to, you know, the quote unquote new normal. And really just the goal is to provide strategies for educators, regardless of whether they're a new educator or an experienced educator of how can they be, you know, happy? What, what does that all entail and how can we strive towards that? So I got a really special guest tonight who's really focused on a lot of this work and has written a book on teacher happiness. And his name is Robert Dunlop, who is a assessment evaluation and technology, I believe at the district level coordinator, um, working at a pretty large district in St. Catharines, Canada. So um, I'm going to ask you a little bit more about yourself as we get started, but um, really excited to talk about, you know, what you've seen from at the classroom level, as well as your level, how can educators be happy? So uh, Robert, thanks for joining us. Oh, totally my pleasure, man. I love how you fit the word strive right into the the name of my book, into your monologue at the beginning. That was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you meant to do it, but I was- It's a good plug, I guess. Yeah, uh, I liked it. So, um, well, I appreciate you joining us and let's get to know a little bit more about you as really, I think for us, this is my uh, opinion, is for us to really be happy you have to really know who we are and also building relationships with people around you in the community. So let's get to know you more so that you can talk to us a little bit more about this. So what's your background in education and then tell us a little bit how, how you got there. Well, it's very interesting. Like I'm one of those people who kind of had like a quasi career before I came into education. I was actually a personal trainer for a multimillionaire. And like I spent years after I graduated teachers 
college, going to like, or flying around the world, living like this high lifestyle. I didn't have any money, but he had a lot of it. And uh, I just, you know, at one point of doing that, it just wasn't fulfilling enough. And I remember saying, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta do something that makes my life meaningful and that I have a real impact in the world, not just the size of some guy's biceps. So I actually just dropped this job and everyone thought I was nuts. And uh, I wanted to be back home with my family and uh, I wanted to start a career. So when I came into education, I came in flying. I, I thought it was the best. I was like, I loved every day, every experience, just the pedagogy, the learning, the kids, the extracurriculars. I was in for it all. And, you know, it was growing amazing and great. And then over time, it just I found it got harder and harder. And to the point where I was I was struggling. I was like, you know, when I started teaching, I was like, I, I saw other teachers who were struggling and I just couldn't kind of understand why. And, you know, I would say about the 12 year mark, 13 year mark of my career, I, I hit some pretty big, I like to call them valleys. And uh, I really started to struggle. And I generally just so you know, I teach like grade eight students. So they're like in Canada, they're like 13 years old. So amazing kids. It was never the kids. It was never not like those relationships were always good. It was, it was the fact that I was, losing my focus i think on the things that i enjoyed most about education and that's actually what led me to um some different things uh i i, I thought well i'll try some leadership and i got into i was i'm really into technology so i was like i eventually became the technology consultant and then that's transformed into assessment evaluation on top of that and uh but at one point i was struggling so hard i was like i gotta do some work on myself like i i'm not happy i'm not the teacher i used to be and so, believe it or not, like it, it was a long process of learning about happiness without having a book in mind, without thinking of a book. It was almost self-therapy. And then at some point, someone said, you need to put this information down on paper. And uh, it was funny because my wife's like, I, when I told her for the first time I was going to write a book, she said, you never read a book before. <laughs> I thought it was a funny statement. And uh, she was right. And so I really just jumped right into um, learning as much as I could about um, not just like positive psychology and happiness, but like where we can find more of that within education. Now that's, that's really an uh, interesting story is, uh, you know, going from that jet set life to, you know, going back to, you know, really trying to make a difference in, in, in the community. I know a lot of personal trainers that they're not, you know, they're, they're, I think a lot of their goals are to try to help people better themselves and better their lives. Um, and it's a form of teaching, but I think that, you know, as an education can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. And I think in our lives, there's a lot of different pathways that we can take for that. So it's interesting, you know, that journey there and that, you know, you start off your career, you know, as, you know, out of the gates and, and, you know, went really well, and then jumped into, you know, a number of valleys. And I think a lot of things over time, you know, things change, context change, people change. There's a lot of change and flux in education. And sometimes they're just a recipe of things that are going on around you that can cause a lot of distress. And sometimes in education, things get repetitive over time. So there's a lot of variables here. And it seemed like, I mean, if we were talking a lot about burnout, that there were probably levels of burnout there as well um, that you probably had to navigate as well. So that's definitely an interesting story. And I'm sure that you'll talk a lot about this when you're talking about, um, you know, your um, journey to strive for happiness and, you know, 
build up that experience for yourself as well as, um, you know, tell that story to others. So let's talk about, you know, you talked a lot about positive psychology um, and let's talk a little bit about now, you know, let's define what happiness is. Cause I mean, that's kind of like the big question that philosophers have been talking about since the very beginning, you know, what's the great, you know, what's happiness, what's, what's, what's the greatest good for myself and others. So how do you define it? And then what do you think affects uh, happiness for teachers? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think like, you know, a lot of time we get caught like saying like differentiating between what's happiness and what's joy and how are they different? For me, I think it's a lot of semantics, to be honest. I think when I think of happiness, I just think of like, overall, like, where are my emotions at? Am I feeling good? Am I feeling positive? And am I satisfied with the way things are going, whether that be in my work life or whether that be in my home life? To me, happiness is just about having those positive emotions and, you know, feeling that life satisfaction. And, you know, I know they talk about joy and happiness being the depth of that. Um, but I just kind of, I just kind of flip them back and forth. And, you know, I think like there's tons of factors, like especially there's factors now that I wouldn't even have thought of two years ago that are affecting teachers happiness coming out of this pandemic. And then followed by that, even in Ontario right now, and I know in the States, a lot of politics around that. And, you know, for me, I like I when I when I I spent a lot of time like interviewing teachers on what made them happy and when we would do. And I would be running like these workshops and leadership workshops on this. And it was always my thing to get in their heads, especially teachers who'd been teaching for like 25 years. Like, how are you still going? How are you still motivated? How are you still love everything about the job? And it's so interesting that it has a lot to do with it's not so much the, the outside stuff. It's how do you block that noise out a lot of the times? And, um, and, and I would say the one thing that I noticed about teachers who are 25 plus years into their career that are, I would say the happiness, the happiest that I interviewed, they had a hyper focus on kids. Like they just were, they were hyper focused on kids, hyper focused on their why. And it's almost like I, I, I kind of relate it to like a horse with blinders on, you know, when I look back at the struggles I've had, it's because I stopped focusing on what I loved about an education. And I started focusing on say the politics or recognition or like things on the outside. But when I was like those first five years in education that I, I think I was the happiest, I was hyper-focused on kids. I had no other choice because I was trying to figure it out. But I think a lot of it is how do you, how do you control that and how do you maintain that focus and, and not let these, the, the noise on the outside kind of take away from what you were meant to do. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of truth with that, you know, and I think that goes towards that emotional intelligence piece that we'll talk about later. But also I think how you can navigate that is through um, basically, I, I, I think it comes down to discipline. It's there's a level of discipline that you have to somehow get um, over time and just, you know, you know, navigating the bumps in the road and just, you know, just not taking things personally um, and just focusing on your why and, and the students. And ultimately that kind of, I think is, is, is really the key to success. And I think that then this notion of perfectionism, um, if you, if you try and be perfect, you're going to burn out and you're going to be unhappy. Um, so it's really um, definitely 
interesting there of, you know, those factors that can affect, you know, your well-being or your happiness, the amount of joy that you have. So um, let's jump into. Can I just know, add some there, though? Yeah, Because I, I think it's important. I think like. I think what I feel is one of the most important things to make, to be happier is to the, the idea that you have hope, right? I love the idea of rational optimism mm -hmm. where, you know, you, you, you might, you might recognize that you're in a really tough spot, that you're in a valley, but knowing that you're going to get out of that valley at some point in time, if you just work at it, if you just do the right things, if you just try to, to do the things that, you know, bring you joy and fulfillment within the profession, the, the, when, when we lose hope, it's hard to see yeah. that there's something in the future. And I, so when uh, Sean Aker talks about rational optimism, I think, I think what we can't do is just pretend everything's fine. I don't, I don't, I think that's the worst thing we can do. I think we have to recognize it, but also we need to, we need to, whether we're leading people and give them hope that, you know, that we're going to come out of this. My favorite book of all time is um, Peaks and Valleys by Spencer Johnson. And in this book, he talks about the idea that everyone goes through peaks. Like it's just part of life. Like you look at, and I do a happiness timeline activity in my happiness homework in my book. And you draw a line throughout your career. And you know what? I've done that with hundreds and hundreds, maybe a thousand teachers and workshops. And you know what? I've never seen a line that goes gradually straight or up or down. It's, <laughs> it's like everyone, everyone. And you know what? People, the moment people see a room full of 20, 30, 40 people drawing lines that look like theirs. There's so much comfort in that because Definitely. they're like this, this, and cause when you look at the lines and it's, it's going up and down. One thing you notice is that when it went down, it went back up. Right. And I think that's the key is to maintain hope, maintain optimism, and then obviously do something and start somewhere to make some changes that, we'll start moving you in that direction. We can just sit in a valley and, and be like upset. And, but if we're not willing to make some small changes, their daily changes, um, uh, Suzanne Daly, one of my favorite um, educator, writer, she's a blog, she has a teach happier blog. She says to me one time, she's like, happiness is a discipline, Rob. And I totally, I totally believe it. That's why the middle section of my book strives an acronym for it stands for students team routines innovate viability and extraordinary but the routine section is the longest chapter in the book by a mile and because i believe it is a discipline and i believe yeah. as educators we need to figure out how do we how do we add this into what we do every day and 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 keep those things that are, are making us happier but we have to make time for that yeah, and i really love that activity with the lines and that just shows humanity as as just that condition, right, of us going through those, uh, you know, leaps and valleys and, and navigating that throughout, you know, our days and, and, and years of our lives. And um, I really like the idea of how we can take things that work for us, but also our research base and put them into our routines and do every, do things every single day. And I also think we also have to take into consideration, you know, who's around you, what's the culture like, and how are you going to navigate um, when people start doubting or when people start saying negative things? Um, and, you know, how are you going to use what you call that rationalized optimism to, um, you know, help yourself and, and help others through your leadership to, you know, get through, um, well, you know, the good times and then the bad times. So 
What do you think when it comes to this idea of emotional intelligence? I, I mean, I can tell you for, for someone that, um, you know, all transparencies is that um, as an educator, um, I work out all the time and I'm also been seeing a counselor regularly for almost 10 years. So I think that that has helped me develop my emotional intelligence to navigate who I am, but not everyone is going to have, you know, has the opportunity to counselor that they have the time or they have, um, you know, the resources. So I think that, you know, we need to create systems where we can at least get educators to have that foundation to have some pieces of that emotional intelligence that they can further expand through other routes. But what, what do you think about this and how can we build, um, you know, teachers emotional intelligence with the resources that we have um, in our schools? Well, I think it's like anything, like it, it needs to be a district focus, right? It needs to be a school focus. Like we, we know, like there's a lot of things that are on the agendas and a lot of important things. And we talk a lot about teacher well-being, but like it sometimes just doesn't make the agenda. I was thinking coming out of the pandemic, that was going to be the number one thing. Like people were going to recognize that this is this is what we need. Like when you look at the statistics on regards to happy um, employees and, and they're, they're functioning at a way higher level with creativity, with like the overall productivity, all these great things are coming out of this and they have all these numbers. I thought for sure they were going to be like, let's build teachers up. And I think some districts are, but I think when it gets to that district level of like, this is important. We're recognizing that our teachers are struggling. Our students are struggling. Our administrators are struggling. Our top people on the board are struggling. And then when we start looking at that and saying, well, how do we bring this? How do, what do we, how do we bring this? So it's helping everyone. And I think the idea of like emotional intelligence, social, emotional learning, um, bringing that in and, and having PD on it. I love the idea. And when I wrote my book on this premises of mutual care, so we talk about self-care all the time and sometimes self-care, you feel selfish, right? Like you're, I'm going to take care of myself. Mutual care is where you're doing things for other people, but at the same time, you're getting a benefit back. So the idea when I wrote my book is like, how do we embed happiness in what we're teaching these kids? How do we embed social, emotional learning, emotional intelligence in what we're teaching our students? And how do we weave that into literacy and math and all these subjects? And so that when we when we're working on it with kids, we're, we're actually getting the benefit. It's actually becoming a focus in our minds, too. And, you know, I think I think we need time to do that as educators. I think the toughest part as an educator is it's stacked like it's stacked. You're, you're busy all the time. And then when you're not busy, it's professional development. It's new learning and new growth. But at times, like when we look at like emotional intelligence, it's all about self-awareness. It's all about taking time to reflect, checking in. How do we manage your emotions? How do we show empathy and experience empathy for other people? There's all these parts that come together and say how to and, and help us build these healthy relationships. But sometimes it just we're too busy to say this is our number one priority. And like, obviously, I'm biased. I have a book on happiness. But I, be <laughs> I believe, though, I believe like when I speak to groups, and I, I did one a couple um, a month ago in Pennsylvania and there was a book signing at the end. And I don't know out of the how many people said to me, this is what we need. Like we need this. Like we need to talk about like, how do we get back on track? And, and it was always interesting to hear their stories. And, and part of it was when they expanded on it, they're like, you know, so often we show up and we get a, the newest like 
way of teaching or the newest technology innovation or the newest way to assess. And it's just, it's piling on sometimes when sometimes we really need to sit back and look at what's going on and say, that's not what's needed right now. We need to, we need to help people get back on their feet. And then by doing that, and, and I don't mean just like, just like feeling sorry for people and giving them time off. I think it's work. Like I think, but we gotta be, we gotta be thoughtful in that process. We have to like, we, we can't just bring in a speaker and say, oh, now they're going to be happy. We need, like, I love when Simon Sinek says, it's not about consistency. It's not about intensity. It's about consistency. So how do we build that into our staff meetings? How do we build that into what we're doing daily? Cause that is how you're going to make it stick. Yeah. It's, it's consistently doing it all the time and working on your self-awareness and yourself and who you are is a lot more work than I think sometimes helping out other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Dealing with like your own demons is definitely, definitely a full-time job sometimes. It, it definitely is. So I, I really like how you mentioned that. I think that, you know, we can't just have a one-off you have to, you know, build it into our routines in schools as well as your own practice. Um, my author, my co-authors and I have really focused on, on our 50 uh, new teacher tips book. And just in, in general, when I'm working with new teachers and just the teachers I'm coaching is, is that got to focus on that reflection piece and like, how are you feeling when this is happening? How can we navigate some distress? How do we navigate some of this trauma that's going on in your classroom with these, with students um, so that you can, you know, not brush it off, but at the same time, you know, be okay with, you know, these are things that are happening and this is how I can navigate it. And this is how I'm going to prevent myself from burning out as well as, you know, how can I be happy with the efforts that I made throughout the day to do the best that I can to make a difference for the students in my class with the circumstances that I'm given. Right. Yeah, so exactly. I think that that's, that's, that's truly really uh, huge. So let's talk now about you have an acronym and you, you know, foreshadowed it earlier with the R for routine and you uh, discussed that a little bit, but you have all these other letters for strive and you did spell them out, but how about you talk a little bit more about what this program is and how, how can we utilize strive as educators to help cultivate our happiness? Well, I think part of like the book that I really felt was important was like with each chapter, there's like a, a, a reflection. I call it happiness homework. Everyone likes alliteration, like alliteration. So I put that together. But it's the idea of like with each chapter, there's something to think about. So when we talk about I, I when I wrote my book, I have my bulletin board back here with all my ideas. And I was sitting there one day and this this I was I it was almost like my only time I've ever experienced a beautiful mind, like letters were jumping around. And I was like, I could see this word starting to form. And I was like, I knew my book, if I was going to go with an acronym needed to start with S because I think we need to put students first. So the first chapter is just about, you know, doing that. And and a big part of that is reconnecting to why we teach, right? We do this like leadership thing in our board that I'm a part of. And every time when we do the sharing circle of right at the end, we say, what's the most impactful thing? And teachers well up and say that they lost their why somewhere. And now they've reconnected and they're ready to go again. So I think like part of that chapter is to get us to, to really start refocusing on students and trying to make that a priority. The team part is so important, like the relationships and 
like we always say relationships 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 and you know george caro said it best but like it this gives actual ideas on how do we build that in how do we build more teamwork in into what we do how do we build teamwork into our lives if we don't have that staff that maybe is is there and ready for it how do we do that using something like we're doing right now like like widening in our pln and stuff like that and so I think when we when we look at those two things as like it's like this, those are the pieces that are going to get you through. Like uh, my amazing nephew just got type one diabetes and he takes this one pill at night that like kind of takes him through 24 hours. I, I, I look at it kind of like that, where it's like those two things are going to give you some stability and things to fall back on. Then the routines, though, they're more like, what can I do daily? What, can, what are the small things that take 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, small activity with my class that I can do that are going to provide me with more happiness? One thing I think is really important to talk about when we talk about routines is that not every routine works for everybody. And it's I, I see it's like a prescription. Right. And like for if you've got eyeglasses, I feel like eventually if you try enough things, you eventually get what's working for you. But then you have to be willing to check to see it's still working a year later, two years later, because just like glasses, they don't, right? So that awareness piece with the routines is I'll, get, I'll give you a quick story. I used to carry this rock in my pocket because I wanted to be more mindful. After six months, I was just carrying a rock in my pocket <laughs> at that point. And, and now I bring it out on, on, on days where I'm stressed or I'm struggling or days that I'm, I'm celebrating stuff. And it has a huge impact on those days. But if we just do stuff to do it, if you're just doing gratitude journal to do it, it definitely doesn't have that same impact if you're doing it with a purpose and you and you reflect on that and say, yeah, this is this is working really well. Or is it time to tweak it? And when you tweak it a bit, some you'll see some of that passion comes back. The the, the I is innovate. I truly, truly believe um, when I look at my career and, and the discussions I've had is like changing and growing and professionally developing. Um, bring you happiness. I had this crazy story where I was doing a keynote up in Northern Ontario and it, we were doing this um, democracy activity. And I said, what do you like the most about education when you started? And they put these red dots on and I gave them more dots. I said, what do you like about most about it now? Put the blue dots on. And I look at them and I analyze them quickly and I say, well, look at this one. It says planning great lessons went from like say 90 dots to like 15 dots. <laughs> and this guy loses it in the back. Like he screams. I thought I was going to get in a fight in my first ever like out of town speaking engagement. And he's, and I said, well, what's going on, man? He's just like, he's like, I'm so mad. He's like, I've been saying, I hate education. It's boring. It's like uh, what do you call it? groundhog day every day. And he's like, I put a ton of dots on like red dots on that was the beginning of my career. And I put none on. And he's like, I just realized that I did it to myself three months later, three weeks as a time period later, sends me an email saying, I threw out all my binders, started from scratch, happiest I've ever been. I think <laughs> that innovation, that that just trying to be better, not swamping yourself, but just constantly having goals, constantly working towards something, being excited about lessons you're going to teach. Maybe you've brought some new tech in. I think that helps. The bees viability, and that's about that peak and valley thing. Like, how do we get through that? You know, I think a lot of that is how we talk to ourselves and what we're focusing on and, and bigger things like we kind of alluded to earlier that, that we have to deal with. And the last, the last one is just a, extraordinary. And you know what, that's the shortest chapter in the book. Cause I can't tell you how to be an extraordinary educator. Cause you got to use what you were given. You gotta, you gotta find your own path to that. But I know there's some pieces to it that you have to be happy. 
I've never, I've never talked to someone when I asked them about your favorite teacher if I, and say they were super upset or angry all the time. It's, you know, the, being happy is what makes that teacher, drives that teacher to be creative, drives that teacher to work hard, to connect with their students. And I, my first book, I never published it, was on motivation and education because I was scared of burning out. And then after I finished it, I, I reflected on it and I said, I wrote on the wrong topic. I wrote a 300 page book on motivation. And I, and cause while I was started reading a ton, I was like, what I, it's not so much. I got, I'm, I'm dying to be this like 30 years into education and just crushing everything. It's I want to be 30 years in education and still love kids still love coming to work every day. So I like literally scrapped that book, never showed it to like never published it sitting over there. And I said, I think it's happiness. And I think on the front cover of the book, I wrote, there's nothing more powerful than an educator who loves coming to school every day. And that's, that's truly what I feel. No, I, I think just when you have people that are motivated, driven, uh, know their why, and they're able to navigate, you know, it's these challenges, you can really tell when you walk into classrooms, I go into classrooms all the time and you can tell when someone is, you know, really feeling it versus, you know, days that you know that it's that it's a grind and you can tell individuals that really i i think they have it i mean at least consistently and you can really tell in their practice and kind of their demeanor and how they um you know talk about it with you it, it, you can really see it i think um when it's truly there um, and what, what i think is important about that is the word strive is like working really hard to try to obtain something we're not gonna you, we're not talking about there's just these teachers that just feel happy all the time and love teaching no there's they, they don't exist that because every, exist. every every one of their graphs looks like our graphs right yeah. but they're able to somehow weather that storm and, and get out of those valleys a little bit quicker and still have that rational optimism still have that hope and, and so they can get, they can fake it longer, but if you sit down there too long with no hope, it, it's hard not to be jaded, cynical. It's hard not to shut down. It's not, it's hard. It's not hard to be the first person out the building. Right. So, cause it's just the way the system's set up. Right. So, so we need to f take it on ourselves to say, well, what are we going to do that is going to give us the most valleys in our career? And, and how are we going to learn from those those um, sorry, most peaks in our career, but how are we going to learn in those valleys? Like what, like I would, I would say to you, like I had two very bad valleys. One, I was ready to quit completely. Uh, I was one signature away from leaving education altogether. The worst one. And, you know, I, I always look back and say that Valley is probably one of the most grateful things that's happened to me. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I wouldn't be as happy with where I'm at if I had not experienced these valleys. So if we can look at valleys as lessons, and learn from them and reflect on them and see. And, and, you know, I was at a great keynote at um, the teach better conference, Mickey Smith jr. And he, and he said this saying I'd heard before, it says, if you're pointing a finger at someone, three are pointing back at you. And I was just like, that hit me. Right. Cause it's like, that is the, what are you going to own of this? What, where's your, what's your responsibility? Because if we don't own our part of it, then we can't make changes. Right. So we, and you know, sometimes the changes, you know, go, do something else, right? We'll get like, go to a different school or try some, a different grade. But I think we got to be willing to change a bit too. Definitely. No, I, I, I agree with you. So before we get to our final question, I wanted to ask you if you knew about this. It's called, have you ever heard of the mappiness study? No, no, I like this. All right. So there's a book that I read. It's called Don't Trust Your Gut. It takes 
a lot of big studies uh, relating to big data and giving you a bunch of life tips. One of them is he uses the Mappiness study, which is one of the largest collections of big data on people in situations where they rated how happy they feel. And it gave us about 40 different activities that make us happy or miserable. So, oh, I got to get my hands on that. So, you know, it's really interesting. So, it says number 15 is childcare and spending time with children. That's number 15 on the list. Yeah, um, yeah. And then um, number seven on the list is talking, chatting, and socializing. And then um, number two is theater, dance, and concert. So, I think those, when you're thinking about teaching, you're doing all those three elements. If they're in sync, those can be uh, things that really make you, uh, I think, can make you happy. But okay. I just thought it was really interesting thinking about this study. And um, basically what they did is, is in the UK, everyone had an app and they rated each other rate them how they felt during all these different situations. Yeah. And I've seen that. I've, I've heard of that before that app they use. I, I, I number two is hundred percent right on Thursday. Uh, 15 of our staff went to a vanilla ice concert. Do you know vanilla ice is? <laughs> yes. It was CNC music factory, vanilla ice, Rob bass and young MC. And honestly, we had the funnest night of our lives and the, 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 the morale, it just went up. Like it just went up like crazy. So yeah, I think, I think everyone finds happiness in different places, but yeah, go to a vanilla ice concert. I'm sure. No, <laughs> definitely. And I also thought it was interesting. Number four is sports running exercise. So that's pretty up there for, I guess, endorphins. And then I thought this was funny as well. Number 25 was drinking tea and coffee. It's my son's favorite thing to drink tea. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting at the bottom though. It said that, um, Working and studying brought you the least amount of happiness. So I guess you can't feel like you're working. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, I think we take work too serious sometimes though, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, the, I, I love when I was writing of the idea of like habit stacking or habit pairing for me was amazing. Just the idea of like, so right now I had this amazing situation where um, my best friend now works with me and now we can, now we go to the gym after work. And, you know, you're getting that socialization, Definitely. all that in, but you're working out at the same time. And so you're stacking these habits together. And that's where it becomes, you know, really, really powerful if you can pull that together. That's exactly what I'm doing after this. I'm going straight to the gym for my uh, workout class. So it's definitely, you know, I love doing the podcast on Wednesdays because then I get to go and have a really nice class, especially I really like the instructor on, on the Wednesday night. So definitely that, that lead in that routine going into that. So that that's fantastic. So as we finish up the episode, I always ask, you know, educators, um, Oh, I, Oh, there's, this is the right question. Sorry about that. <laughs> that was no a curveball. So, yeah. um, the last question is, you know, what are two to three tips you recommend educators to implement in their practice, regardless of their context to help them navigate the present and future of education? Yeah. Number one, you talk to anybody who like thinks a lot about happiness or joy, it's gratitude. It's the gateway, right? To happiness. Uh, I often tell this story that when I wrote each of the chapters within routines, I would live out that chapter for as long as I needed to. Some of it was like three, four, five months. And I would just read everything I could get. I would like, and like, 
and I would like listen to podcasts. I would download whatever books. I was all over everything, conversations, everything I could get my hands on. And the one that blew my mind was gratitude. And I always thought, you know, I grew up with like a really nice family and I have a great life with I have a nice wife and well, I better say better than nice. I have this amazing <laughs> wife and I don't get in trouble and uh, great kids. And so like, I always felt like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty grateful guy uh, for that. But it was like the idea of intentionally practicing gratitude and, and, and doing it repeatedly uh, consistently and figuring out how to build that into your life. It's crazy. I stumbled upon an app called happy feed. It asked me each night, three things I'm grateful for. Uh, I think I'm at like, 1360 days in a row I've used it. I haven't missed a day in, in four, almost four years. Wow. And you know what, I'll, when I, when I struggle, I, I can open the app and instead of like scrolling through other people's lives and seeing what's going good in their worlds and what vacations are on and what they're doing, that's bringing them joy. I have an app now that I have pages and pages of ideas and, and memories and then I can shake my phone and it spits out random ones so sometimes I'm in the hospital with my mom or whatever and I'm shaking my phone people must think it's not working and it will tell me a memory I had from the past the other cool part about it is you can search people by name so I can write mom in there and it will show me all the things I'm grateful for this app is so well put together and for me it works right because part of me it kind of ties into this question is how do I make my device, how do I make technology a part of my happiness? I think personally, like it's just a personal thing. I think technology can take away a lot of happiness from a lot of people, specifically social media and, and going down that road. So I was looking for ways that I make my device um, something that's really adding to my life. So finding that notifications really helped me. But then I talked to other people. They have gratitude logbooks. They, they go on gratitude walks. So I, I was I, like that to me is like if you're going to start anywhere and I think it's it's good because that's what brings that, that optimism to the surface. Right. Because you're 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 looking for good things now. Um, I, I had some really bad news about my mom in terms of eternal terminal illness. And uh, I remember filling it out that night. And, you know, it was the worst day of my life. And I still filled it out. And uh, I remember thinking if I can fill it out on this day, I'm filling it out on every day. And so for me, gratitude's big. And I don't think there's like something for everyone. I think that's why I try to throw as many ideas in the book. The other one I, I do really feel powerfully about, though, is really looking at your media diet in terms of the type of media you're ingesting. Yeah. When I when I don't know if ingesting is right word, but it sounded good. Um, when I was uh, at my, my my most frustrated in education, I was watching tons of news, tons of politics, and then on the side of that, I'd finish that and I'd watch cops for like four hours. <laughs> and so it just gives you a really a really bad view of the world. And so for me, like you know, one of when I, I have a website I created called Motivated You motivatedyou.com and part of that website was created because i was collecting um all of these like really amazing videos and and i didn't know where to house them and i had this website going for my book and i was like man i'm gonna so i have this get inspired uh, piece and it's got like quotes but the video section you need some like you just need some days you just need a pick-me-up i just commented last night on some posts from cult of pedagogy and show and, and posted the uh rita pearson um TED talk. And this guy says to me, uh, responds to me, he's like, I listen to that day one of every school year. And I think, how do you build those things in that make you, that make you feel more positive, that kind of give you that thing. I think the other thing too, is, is just a small one is relive the good things. 
You know, when we relive the bad things, when we come home to our partners or we go into a classroom right at the end of the school and we're venting all the time, we're just reliving that. And I think you need to vent sometimes, but I also think you need to have someone in your life that says, what, what, what's good today? And then the final one, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a real easy one. It's probably the easiest one that I believe has had as transformational in terms of my happiness in terms of my relationships with others is I coined a phrase called random acts of recognition. And essentially what it is, is like random acts of kindness. I was trying it too complicated for me. Like I would, I'd be like, Oh, what's that person's favorite type of coffee. And <laughs> by the time I, I would, I, I would never do it. I would try to do something really sweet. And then I would complicate it to the point where it was gone and the moment was gone and I never did it. So I remember saying, I'm making this as easy as possible. So when I sit on a couch and an idea goes positive idea about someone goes through my head, I act on it in the quickest way possible. Whether that means grab a sticky note and throw it on their desk, whether that means if, if emails, how we communicate and I say exactly what I'm thinking, uh, text someone even now in grocery stores. Um, if someone is, is serving um, a person in front of me and they're energetic and kind, or they do something that I find impressive. I used to just walk up and hand them my stuff and be polite or whatever. Now I say, you know what? You're so impressive. Like how you dealt with that situation or, you know, your smile is just, it, it, you smile at everyone and you, and you really make people feel um, welcomed and you really make them feel meaning like that you, you, you care about them. And so by just doing those random acts of recognition, like, it's an act of kindness that not only brings your all your like trifecta hormones up and makes you feel good, but then you're you you're anticipating when they're getting it. You're you, it's coming back to you. There's all these points of happiness that are going to occur, but at the same time, these people are getting these people are like getting these on their end, and they're and you're making these relationships stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's so fun to do. Like just pick up your phone, think of someone awesome. And be like, I think you're awesome because or and and, and try it. It's the easiest way to, to, to kind of get you going. Oh, man, so many good nuggets of information there. I mean, so many different things that you can put into practice and things that, you know, I think just try it a few times and it might work for you and create a routine out of it. So um, thank you so much, Robert, for joining us tonight. Oh, man, my pleasure. I, anytime you get a chance to talk about your pet passions, I just uh, posted something on Twitter about uh, a couple of days ago about you podcasters and and all the work you guys put into giving educators like myself a voice. It's 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 so amazing because it really helps amplify what we're trying to say. And and at the end of it, you guys are and you're an author too. You obviously know as well. But um, you podcasters and and people who do this are awesome. No, it's so much fun, and I, I it, you know podcasting makes me happy. So it's definitely. You know, hopefully, you know, two way street, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. both people are happy. And, uh, you know, if people like listening to it, then that's another added bonus at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. So and, how and by people, the way, by the way, yeah. that was a that was a random act of recognition. <laughs> <laughs> how was uh, so, by the way, how do we follow you? Um, best follow you. Where can our listeners learn more about you? I generally go under at Rob Dunlop EDU on like Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. And then I have a website. It's motivatedyou.com. And yeah, if you just jump on there, you'll see you can subscribe or do whatever you want to do, or at least contact me. But yeah, I love having conversations like this with anybody. So if you ever want to reach out and contact me, feel free. I'm always open to that. No, that sounds fantastic. And I'm sure that, you know, 
be great to connect with you in person. Hope to do that in the future. So thank you so much for joining us. And let's move into our next set of episodes. Um, Going to be focusing a lot about, you know, gratitude, happiness, burnout, um, really important things, I think, during this time of the school year as we're sitting here, November 9th, 2022. So please follow the podcast on MatthewRoads.com, Spotify, Apple, um, Breaker, and all your favorite podcast players. And until next time, um, hope that you are navigating the present and future education and doing your best to make your students better and yourself and your colleagues better. Have a good one, everyone. Thank you.